morning, afternoon or evening. Wherever and whenever you're joining us for worship here at the Peninsula Churches, you are more than welcome. Before we start our worship today, let us take a moment to hold silence with God, allowing ourselves time to focus our thoughts, our very being on him, as well as giving space for God to speak to us. May we gather here with all our stories, those that encourage and those that hurt, and lay them here, bringing ourselves to the one who created us, and in community, listening to each other. May we listen for God, alive amongst us, redeeming and renewing all we bring. Let us worship our God.
Let us pray. Almighty God, before time and space began, you are. Almighty God, beyond the farthest reaches of the universe, you are. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious, eternal, you are. The heavens cannot hold your greatness, yet you have reached out to us, and through your Son we have learned to call you Father. All-merciful, all-loving, ever-present Father. Father of all, Father of all peoples, Father of all creation. Not just my Father, but our Father. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget the our. We bow before you, acknowledging our frailties, our failures. Forgive, Lord, when we fail to treat other people, wherever they may be, whoever they may be, as a precious part of your whole family. We see the suffering of the weak and marginalised in our society and around the world, but sometimes we want to hide away in our own security. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us, Lord, when we fail to treat your wonderful creation as a precious part of your whole family. We see the tragic effects of global warming, yet hesitate to change our lifestyles. Christ, have mercy. Forgive us, Lord, and make us ever more aware that you are our Father, Father of all. Bend our hearts to your will, O God, that we may show forth a reflection of your love and compassion in all that we do and say. Amen. Judges chapter 4, verses 12 to 22. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Syria gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Haroseth and Hoginim to Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. 
But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Haraseth, Haganim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because they were friendly because there was friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hassar, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks, is anyone here, say no. But Jael Heber's wife picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her to her tent and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. Do not rebuke an older man harshly but exalt him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow, who is really in need and left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves, because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. So I console younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help the, those widows who are really in need. 
let us pray. O loving Lord, may you take my inadequate words and speak through them, allowing our ears to hear your message and our hearts to be set on fire with love for you. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Have you ever heard someone say that the Bible is boring or not relevant today? Perhaps you've even felt that way yourself at times. Well, that's okay. For in truth, some of the books like Leviticus and Numbers or Revelation can be difficult and hard to grapple with, especially as they seem to come right after the exciting stories such as the Exodus from Egypt. So if, like me, you have had your moments of struggle with the words in this book, of finding a way to make them relevant and appropriate right now, wherever you are, well, that's okay and nothing to be ashamed of. But today, I really hope to challenge those notions of irrelevance and boredom, even if they're just held by me. By using the two passages we heard earlier to discover why the Bible is anything but dull and also why it is definitely applicable to us in this present time. Even though we are living thousands of years and miles from where these events first occurred, from where these books were first written. But before I would begin, I would like you to listen to a story. In a bustling city not too long ago, Deborah was a brilliant and fearless attorney, renowned for her unwavering commitment to justice. She had a reputation for taking on cases that others deemed impossible to win, and she was always on the side of the oppressed. One day, a powerful and corrupt businessman named Sisera came under Deborah's scrutiny. Sisera had amassed great wealth through unethical business practices, and he had a network of corrupt politicians and lawyers at his disposal to protect his interests. Deborah knew that taking down Sisera would be a monumental task, but she was determined to hold him accountable for his crimes. Deborah's reputation reached the ears of Jail, a resourceful and cunning journalist who had been investigating Sisera's shady dealings for years. Jail had gathered a trove of incriminating evidence against him, but she needed someone with legal expertise to ensure that Sisera would face the consequences of his actions. Deborah and Jail joined forces. They collaborated tirelessly, using their respective skills to build an airtight case against Sisera. They exposed his bribery, money laundering and other nefarious activities. The media picked up on the story and public outrage grew as more and more people learned about his misdeeds. Sisera, feeling that the walls were closing in on him, attempted to use his influence to obstruct the legal process. But Deborah and Jail were relentless. They were determined to see justice served and they refused to be intimidated. With the support of an honest judge, and a determined jury, 
Cicero was found guilty on multiple counts of corruption and fraud. As Cicero's empire crumbled, he tried to escape the city, but he found himself cornered by the relentless pursuit of justice. In a dramatic turn of events, Jail, who had been tracking his movements, managed to apprehend him and nailed Cicero's fate by delivering the final piece of evidence that sealed his conviction. Cicero was sentenced to life in prison, and his ill-gotten wealth was seized and redistributed to those he had harmed over the years. Deborah and Jail became symbols of integrity and determination in a city that had long been plagued by corruption. And their story served as a powerful reminder that justice could prevail even against the most powerful adversities. For Deborah and Jail's collaboration had brought about a new era of accountability and transparency in their city, where the corrupt trembled at the thought of facing justice and the oppressed found hope in the promise of a fair and equitable society. Wow. Not a boring story, is it? Might even be the outline of a good film. Yet it's pretty much the first reading we heard this morning, set in more modern times and without so much death and murder. The story of Deborah and Jail is one that deals with topics such as leadership and courage. It is one that shows us that heroes come from unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And it is one that speaks of to the theme of overcoming oppression and injustice. All subjects which are relevant today. And probably why we're so fascinated by things like Marvel and DC Comics and their films. We like the underdog to win. The goodie to beat the baddie. We love the happily ever after. Especially if there was a struggle to get there. And the Bible is full of such stories. In fact, more often than not, the heroes in the Bible are deeply flawed, make awful mistakes, but are used by God to change the world. And more importantly, are still loved by God. For in truth, this book right here is a love story, a story of God's love for us his broken and wayward children, and our love for him, our wonderful, omnibenevolent creator and sustainer. And let's be honest, who doesn't enjoy a good love story, especially one filled with action and adventure, with twists and turns, where there's light and darkness, great sadness and great joy. One that ends with a and they lived happily ever after. And even better, the Bible is not a work of fiction, but it's real. How wonderful is that? Equally, the passage from 1 Timothy, where the Apostle Paul provided guidance regarding the care for widows and families within the church, highlights similarly hugely important themes. For in it, Paul outlines the responsibilities of the church and families in caring for widows. True, it is not how we would do it today. But this was a young church with a different societal framework, trying to grapple with difficult situations as best they could. 
And like our first passage, it also has a lot to teach us today, such as we must have respect and compassion for elders. In a world that is often dominated by youth-centric values, this passage reminds us of the importance of showing respect and care for older individuals. It encourages us to treat them as we would our own family members, fostering intergenerational relationships built on understanding and compassion. And let's be honest, intergenerational is a key word in the church today. This passage also underscores the significance of providing support, both emotional and material, to vulnerable members of our communities. While in Paul's time this was widows, today this can extend to caring for elderly family members, neighbours, or those in need in other areas within society. As this passage shows, though, trying to work out who exactly those in need within society are and then finding a fair way to support them has and probably always will be problematic. Hand in hand with this, the second reading also emphasises the responsibility of family and community to take care of their own. It encourages us to look after the well-being of those who may be marginalised or struggling, rather than solely relying on external assistance. With our family structure often so splintered today, this can be a hard lesson to follow. Hard, but not impossible. And that is because this reading also reminds us to maintain purity and integrity in our relationships treating one another with respect and avoiding any form of exploitation or impropriety. If we did always treat each other this way, honestly, with respect, with love, just imagine what a different world we would be living in now. While promoting generosity and support for those in need, this, is, this passage also encourages accountability. It suggests that assistance should be provided to those who are genuinely in need, emphasising the importance of discernment when offering help. Yes, Paul's method of discernment may seem wrong to us sitting here today, but in truth, it is a mistake to say that such a system would not be tolerated currently. Though what is described rightly should leave a bad taste in our mouths and might trigger a reaction of disbelief and astonishment in the modern day listener, the Bible's content should never make us fail to assess whether such or similar types of injustice are evident in our society today. Especially, we might ask, are there injustices tolerated or promoted by authorities that may indeed include even those that call themselves churches? Or religious communities. Because let's be honest, there are people today who are still made to live with the stigma through no fault of their own. Those who face the injustice of corrupt systems that dehumanise, who know a hand-to-mouth existence under the whims of those who wield too much power, too much control over what care is shared with them. You see, sometimes a scripture passage reveals what we should do. But sometimes a careful reading of scripture reveals what we should not 
do, or indeed should not tolerate, in a world that is meant to be fair and just for all. But no matter what it says, what it teaches, how it makes us feel, it is hard to see how a passage such as this one is not relevant today. While reading First Timothy can raise issues, it can also serve as a guide for building more compassionate, supportive and accountable communities. It encourages us to prioritise the well-being of all members, particularly the elderly and the vulnerable, while promoting values of respect, integrity and family support. So hopefully, in these two passages, we've encountered characters and events that captivate our imagination and challenge our assumptions about the Bible. This is because the Bible is not a dull history book filled with dry facts. It's a dynamic, living testimony to God's love and grace. It shows his involvement in the lives of ordinary and ex extraordinary people but people just like us, minus the tent peg, I hope. God invites us to engage with, the, with his story, teaching and wisdom. And in doing so, we're encouraged to explore the unexpected, embrace the challenges and uncover the hidden gems within its pages. When we dive into the Bible with an open heart and mind, we discover that it is a source of inspiration guidance and yes even excitement so today i encourage you i encourage myself to approach the bible with fresh eyes ready to uncover the thrilling drama the unexpected heroes and the profound wisdom it holds let us be captivated once more by its pages for within them we find a vibrant narrative of god's love and redemption. And as a little plug, if you'd like to grapple more with the stories in the Bible, then please join us for our book club on a Tuesday morning at 11am, either online or in person at our Gower, where we're delving into this exciting book, Love, Death and Resurrection, a new version of the New Testament. Because I can promise if you do come along, it will be a thrilling journey as we listen anew to the word of God and discover how, just how relevant it is for us here today. Praise be and Amen. Let us pray. Creator God, we thank you for the beauty of your world for the glory of autumn colours in the trees and bushes, for fruit on trees and berries on bushes, for the cycles of the seasons and of day and night, which in your wisdom you have ordered. Time to work and time to rest. Ever-present God, we thank you that you are always waiting and willing to listen to us. You listen to our doubts, our worries, 
our sorrows and our joys. We thank you for all who take time to listen to us, to comfort us, reassure us, to rejoice with us. May your church be a place where all know that they will be listened to and where all are willing to listen to others. We pray for your world. We see so much beauty, but also so much pain, violence, fear, despair. We pray for all suffering from the violence of nature and the violence of man. Those experiencing extremes of climate, floods, heat waves, droughts and wildfires in so many places. We pray for those affected by the recent earthquake in Morocco and devastating flood following the dams failing in Libya. We pray for those in areas torn by conflict, remembering Ukraine and Russia, Sudan, Azerbaijan, Yemen, the Holy Land, Myanmar, and so many other areas. We pray for all who have died or lost loved ones. For those whose crops, animals, livelihoods or homes have been destroyed. We pray for all aid agencies and charities that seek to bring relief often at great personal risk. May they know your protection, Lord. May your rulers and politicians use their authority wisely, seeking justice, peace and the common good. May human values and integrity never be compromised by desire for personal gain or party political considerations. May those who lead and influence the different communities hear your voice and be open to the guidance of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of peace and love. We pray for those suffering from or fearing crippling debts, countries and individuals, seeing no way through the current cost of living crisis.
May your church speak out on behalf of the poor and marginalised. May we, as part of your body, the church, join in your work of bringing comfort, peace and justice to the world in which we live. We pray for all who are sick in body, mind or spirit. And we pray for the bereaved. We pray for our own families and communities. In a few moments of stillness, let us lift to the hands of our Lord our own concerns and troubles, whatever weighs heavy in our hearts. May all in need know the support of your encircling arms and we join our prayers with your whole church throughout the world and in heaven. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord God, we are so generously blessed by the gifts which you give us. You ask for little in return, but you do ask for something. So let us come now and dedicate our offering to you. Let us pray. Gracious God, you provide for us as a nurturing mother, meeting our needs. We dedicate this offering of ourselves our bodies and minds, gifts you have given us to be used for your purpose in the world, gifts that are only made possible through the generosity you provide and model for your disciples. Gladly we offer these gifts of money and talent to further the promise of the coming of your kingdom and we bring all our prayers together using the prayer that your Son Jesus taught us, as we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Send us out in the power of the Spirit. Just shine your light in the way we live. Send 
Send us out in the power of your spirit As we've received, may we freely give Send us out, send us out Send us out for your glory Let's all we do be praised to you Send us out for your glory Send us out in the power of your Spirit To show your love everywhere we go Send us out in the power of your spirit. Lord, fill us up so we overflow. Send us out, send us out, send us out for your glory. Let's all we do be praised to you. Send us out for your Thank you for joining us in worship, for being part of our community. We are blessed to have you as part of our family. And remember, when the Bible is a hard read, let us hold on to the good news that we are the beloved of God. Life can be messy, but God's love is constant. May we know God's love this week, no matter what we face. May God's love surround us, the peace of Christ still us, and the Spirit's essence reassure us. This day and all days. Amen. Amen.